1: Welcome to the second edition of the Thought Police this week. Uh, I'm Mike Graham. Matt Kelly is here, he's the editor of The New European. Yep. Um, the world moves on a pace uh, since the last time you and I spoke, but do you know what we do sometimes, and I think we should do it now from time to time, we ask people to send us the odd email. Um, you could give us the uh, the email address actually yeah, in, in yeah. a second but if you ever want us to talk about anything or you want to ask us a question um, because the growing number of subscribers is, is great the yeah. podcast is going really well thank you to everyone so thanks listen. for it to everybody who's downloaded it tell somebody else about it as well but what's the what's the uh, the email address so it's thoughtpolicepod yes at gmail.com ok so if, and I put that out on twitter and I'll do it on facebook as well yeah. uh, from time to time just to get people uh, going so we thought we'd have a look into the old no, mailbag the mail like a they used to call it. That's I remember right. that when there actually yeah, wasn't mailbag. Yeah. Do you know when I used to work in New York, <laughs> there was actually a bag that went every day from every newspaper office, which contained yeah. photographs, sometimes film, yeah. um, newspapers, magazines, yeah. and it was like a diplomatic bag that went every night from the offices in New York onto a plane at
0: Kennedy Airport, got to London Airport in the morning. Incredible. And one came back the other way. Do you know they used to do? And uh, I'm, I'm not bullshitting out. They used to do pigeon post, right? Yeah. In, um, in the Liverpool Echo. Really? It was the quickest way to get the results to the, for the football Echo. Right. Was to so with racing pigeons. So they had racing, they had, yeah, uh, courier pigeons, yeah, you know yeah. what they call and there was And they would let them go at half-time and at full-time. And there's a funny story. And what would they do? Take the, They just uh, put the score in and who scored, you know. No, but I mean what, take a little bit of paper to its yeah. foot or something. Well it's got a, it has a little sort of aluminium canister right. Right, on, tied to its foot. That's amazing, and you too. get a bit of paper and you roll it up and you pop it in. Right. And then like three minutes later the thing would be at Old Hall Street, which right. is the old echo address. And there's a very funny story about um an Everton fan watching yeah. a game at Liverpool, right, right? And they were getting beaten 2-0 at half time. So right. he sends off his You know, Liverpool two, Everton none, nil, right? That goes off at half time. And then at full time, they've drawn. They've pulled two back, and in the last minute, they uh, score the winner, right? Right. And the guy grabs the pigeon, shouts into its ear: "Liverpool two, Everton three <laughs> 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 Throws it into the ear. I'm sure that's bollocks, but it's probably it's a good story, though. Right. Yeah. So, what's in our mailbag this week then? What's in our mailbag? Well, we've got one from Robert Callahan mm-hmm. who says: "Morning lads, I've often wondered about war and conflict correspondence in the press." And what drives them to enter potentially dangerous situations? Is this a personal choice for journalists, or is it delegated by higher authority? In yeah. other words, does the editor just point and say, "Here you yeah. go"? Well, it's a bit of both, really, isn't a good it? It I mean, is uh, a good
1: question. I mean, I remember the, the one and only war zone I was ever sent into, um, which was Bosnia. Uh, I remember getting a phone call. Um, I was in the pub, actually. Funnily enough, as you as you do yeah. in those days, and I got a phone call from the deputy editor secretary. He uh, was a bloke by the name of Paul Potts in those days. Yeah, Paul Potts. Um, and yeah. who ended up running PA. Yeah. I think he's retired now. Um, but he came on the phone and he said to me, and there was a guy called Danny McGrory, who was the, yeah. sort of the big time war correspondent, who ended up at the Times. He was on the Dell Express at the time. He'd been out in Bosley for about six or seven weeks. Yeah. Um, and they said, you know, we want to pull Danny McGrory out for a bit of a R R&R. Yeah. He's been there a long time and we want you to go in his place. You know, and obviously this is a big thing. You might want to take it home and talk to your wife about it, talk to your family about it, um, you know, but we'd like you to be the guy that goes. Um, and I said, well, you don't have to worry about me talking to anybody about that, uh, Paul, because I am going to say yes right now. Yeah. Because I thought, of one, it's, it's of course it's something you want to do. Um, rather selfishly, maybe, I shouldn't have uh, made that decision without talking to my wife. Yeah. But I thought to myself, if she says no, I don't want you to go, that's really going to be a cause of a problem in the house because yeah. I'm a journalist, first yeah. and foremost. You know, I didn't sign up to journalism to yeah. be you a know, pen pusher and just spend my yeah. life in the pub yeah. um, and signing people's expenses. So for me, it was very much um, a choice I could have I couldn't refused to go. Yeah. But also part of me, in the back of my mind, was thinking, also if I say no, they've given me the opportunity of a lifetime that's and I've turned it asked, down yeah. and I don't right. think they'll ask again.
0: That's right. I mean, I mean... Some of the best reporters, I've never... I've never gone into a war You've been more in production, though, for yeah, a long time. I've you? Yeah, I've um, been more office-based. Because
1: we did. should maybe explain to people yeah. that you have a choice, don't yeah. you, when you kind of get into journalism, in the old days anyway. That's right, yeah. You could either be a reporter who goes out knocking on people's doors in those days or yeah.
0: somebody who's more office-based putting the papers together. That's right. Which is more what you did. That's right. And uh, I was really lucky to get a couple of years in Argentina and right. Brazil sort of helping other big newsrooms with mm changing over to digital. So I had my kind of foreign experience, Yeah. it certainly wasn't a war zone. No one was shooting at you. No one was shooting at me. And um, people like Anton Antonovich, who, when I was head of features at The Mirror, Anton was our top feature writer, and he would be the guy who would go into these difficult scenarios. It was a weird thing, because people, I mean, think they were very jealous Mm -hmm. of war correspondents. And as, it's quite glamorous it is quite glamorous and as such I think they sort of made light of it a mm. bit but it was brought home to me how you know dangerous it is when the night of the uh, shock and awe blitz of Baghdad yeah. and Anton was in the hotel where they were all cooped up and was looking out at this yeah. bombardment and the bo- you know it was half a mile yeah. away. it was huge they right. could feel the heat and I was on the phone to him as it happened yeah and, him, you know, him and describing it yeah. and you're hearing the bombs yeah. going off and, the, you know, almost... Well, I remember I was shaking. in Scotland watching that
1: and yeah. I remember um, I think I was texting or emailing peers backwards and forwards, and, I, you know, just because that's what we did in those days and I remember watching it thinking this is actually quite sickening to watch yeah. because what I didn't know was that there weren't any people there. Yeah. But you couldn't believe that nobody died. No, Because nobody did die. That's right. Because they evacuated the entire city. But while you're watching it, you're thinking... Oh, it was amazing. Jesus Christ, this is brutal. It was amazing. Everybody's dead, you know. They must be killing
0: tens of thousands of people. And, of course, there was... At the Mirror, there was a brilliant guy called Rupert Hamer. Yeah. He was at the Sunday Mirror who was killed as a war correspondent. In Afghanistan. That's right. In Afghanistan, he was blown up by... And also, uh, yeah, it was an IED. He was in a a
1: British Army land That's right. And the um, photographer was very seriously hurt as He well, lost a leg. He lost a leg. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he ended up in New York, I think. Yeah. But when I went out to Bosnia, I was very sort of um, green about the whole idea of a war zone. I didn't know much about it. And what, what was it like when you landed? Well, I landed in a place called Split, which was in um, yeah. uh, Croatia, which was fine. Yeah. You know, it's like a Mediterranean sort of Adriatic Sea. There was no war there. Yeah. And I, got, I was met by Danny McGorry and John Downing, who was the photographer. And they were both going back, so I was not going to have any photographer. And so basically they were handing over the car, which was a larder with TV, it had TV and tape yeah, on the yeah, windows, yeah, which I thought yeah. was very cool. Yeah. Um, we drove out of the airport and the first thing that happened was we got puncture. Yeah. Right? And I'm not exactly trained for this shit, right? Yeah. You know, I said at one point to somebody further down the road, I said, you know, my idea of a foreign job is the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. Yeah. You know, it's not sitting in a foxhole yeah. eating out
0: of a tin, you know, getting shot at. Yeah. But the longer you're there, you get more cavalier about it. Have you ever read, um, it's a brilliant book called Dispatches by a fellow called Michael Hare. Don't think so. It is absolutely superb. Mm. And um, it was 1977. I'm just looking at it on Wikipedia to refresh my memory. But the the character in it who stands out by a mile is Errol Flynn's son, Sean Flynn, who was a very wild cavalier war reporter. And I'm pretty sure ends up. Getting killed. And yeah. Things. But the book is well, absolutely I met, phenomenal. I mean, I met loads
1: of people who were professional yeah. kind of war correspondents. I mean, yeah. Martin Bell, for example. Martin yeah. Bell, yeah. Um, who was still a BBC reporter at that time, had already had the incident where he'd had one of his balls shot off. Yeah. And they now have a bulletproof vest with what they call the bell flap. Is that right? the bell flap goes down between your legs. Not, which yeah. didn't used to be there. Wow. And you now do that, right? Um, but he would go off on his own. We, we were based in Vitez, which was in central Bosnia. There was a big... Uh, British Army camp and it was the Yorkshire's I think who were brilliant yeah. um, and we got all our food there but I lived in a little house but all the big players like the BBC the Telegraph uh, ITN um, you know all the big American networks they all had either security and armour plated cars yeah. you know armour plated land Rovers, which yeah. you know you could penetrate with a, with a bazooka but you couldn't penetrate with a regular bullet yeah. um, and I had a larder yeah which was a soft car who were you working for Daily Express yeah you know bastard. I had no photographer yeah. I had no fucking um, <laughs> no, no backup plan of any kind yeah. And but so he would drive off every day with his crew and his armour plated Land Rover and go and find stories yeah but I couldn't really do that you go and try and find a mechanic to you get know, the engine to I work. was like yeah but by the end of the time I was there here's a story for you yeah. right um I had to get petrol because when you get the, the, the car up, you're, you're literally in a place where there's no electricity. I had a bath once a month; we had no running water in the house. Right? Yeah. And every night you're sitting uh, in darkness because you can't have a candle because there's snipers everywhere. Right. There's houses on fire around the place. You hear you know <laughs> gunfire all the time. Yeah. And you just get normalised to yeah, it, right? Amazing. So um, and there's no petrol stations as such. <laughs> you know, you can imagine you don't stop off for a flicked mix and a dank yeah. sandwich. You know. <laughs> But so I, I got to the point where I, I, I'd used my, my sort of spare tank of petrol, which is in a big plastic container. So I thought, well, I better not want to run out of petrol because there were bandits around and stuff. Mm. So I said to one of the guys in my house, I said, well, like, he said, well, there's, there's a petrol station, but it's down the road. Um, it's about a mile. He said, the problem is between here and there, there's a sniper and he's up in the forest. Bloody hell. So, but don't worry about it because if you hit 90 clicks, 90 kilometres an hour, he can't hit you right. because that means you're going too quick. Right. He just can't track you. Yeah. you yeah, so of course because I've been there a few, I'm like, fine. can <laughs> I mean, you imagine somebody <laughs> yeah. saying that to you here? <laughs> just take the car, yeah. just make sure you can put your foot down. And you to do 90 oh. well, Yeah, yeah amazing. It felt like it, the door was going to fall off. But <laughs> we got to the petrol station, it was all breeze blocked up So because the sniper used to kill people <laughs> as they were filling the car, right? So there's all these breeze blocks. I'm on this side of the breeze yeah. blocks and I'm kind of looking, you know, yeah. Um, fill the car up but the feeling of absolute and utter kind of uh, joy yeah. that I had for getting to Amazing. the petrol station was fantastic. It must be so exhilarating. It really exhilarating, yeah. right? Um, you know, got the petrol, paid for it, get back in the car, right? 90, 90 clicks again, fucking all the way back to the place, got back. I've never been as excited. I don't yeah. think at that point in my life as I felt Amazing. as if I was. I felt as if I was Errol
0: Flynn. But what? What's? It, I've always wondered what's it like when you come back and you know. And, well, and then you go on interview. This is what Martin
1: Bell know. said to me because yeah. he, Martin Bell, famously lived in Hampstead, and I'm from there, and he lived above a restaurant called La Gaffe, which is in Heath yeah. Street. And he said, you know, because I got, I started to get quite friendly with him, and he's quite an odd guy, quite a loner. You know, he he was it was Martin Bell was the one who became the. That's right. Still against the, the dreaded... MP. Uh, yeah. The With dreaded, his, what's the name? The uh, replic, Jonathan
0: face? The couple, yeah. no, the, the, the swingers, remember? The so-called swingers. I thought he was against, uh, I thought he stood against um, the fellow who went to prison for, for perjury. Um, the minister. It was Neil Hamilton he stood ne- against, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I, I thought, thought it, it was, was Neil John... Hang on a second. Look. I, I thought, thought it was Neil Hamilton. Because I thought it was like, all this trusty, sort of truth stuff. But you might be absolutely right. Hang on. No, I th- no, he right. was London, I think.
1: Right. I think. I thought it was Neil Hamilton. But anyway, um, but sometimes we'd have breakfast together. And he would say things to me like, you know, it's very difficult um, when you've been somewhere like this to go home and open up the gas bill. Yeah. Was it Neil Hamilton? It was Neil Hamilton. And and he said, I find it really hard to be back in London when all of this is going on. Because he really did care. I mean, I didn't care so much. I wasn't there as a sort of crusading television reporter. The kicker to the story about the sniper, though, is we used to drink in the Sergeant's Mess, um, which was the place to be. And I'd just given up, so it was another time I'd given up smoking, and I thought, this is not a good time to give up smoking, because the cigarettes were really cheap. Yeah. The drink was really cheap, and we'd be with these great guys from yeah. the Yorkshire Regiment. And you're a war reporter. And so I'm a war reporter, so I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, so I'm telling you the story about how proud I was about this trip to the, to the petrol station, you know. And this guy who I'd become quite friendly with was very, so he was from Ghoul, I think, and so he had this very laconic way of speaking, and he said, Well, there two things wrong with your story, Mike. I said, What's that? And he said, um, well, you didn't have to go to that petrol station. You could have come here. We'd have given you petrol for nothing. <laughs> and I went, oh right. And he said, and that thing about ninety miles, ninety kilometres out—that's fucking bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, what do you mean he could have shot me? He went, yep.
0: Oh my god. <laughs>
1: Bloody hell. But yeah. That? So I yeah. mean, um, you're right to say about um, covering war has become very different as well because yeah. I think now. It's very difficult to go anywhere without being embedded. embedded yeah. And there was a time when you could be independent and do your own thing. But yeah. I think now, because it's quite dangerous as well. I mean, look what happened to Mary Colvin. That's right. You know, from the Sunday Times, she was a woman who was murdered. Effectively, yeah. Very by good Asad. film, by the way. Yeah. Very yeah. Good film, yeah. Great book was yeah. written about her as well. That yeah. um, she was murdered. She was she was targeted and pinpointed That's and right. killed. Yeah. By the Assad regime. That's right. In Homs. Yeah. And you know,
0: you can't really guarantee your own safety. But there was, I remember in the mirror newsroom, there was a point, and I can't remember what triggered it, but there were times when Anton would just go off. Yeah. uh, And then there came an event where, and it wasn't poor old uh, Rupert, but there was an event where suddenly everything got health and Mm. safety. And people went off on courses about, you know, defensive driving and how to get out of trouble. Yeah. And they all had, you know, flak jackets made for them and all of this business. And so, I mean, it sounds obvious, but that, you know it was, they started taking it seriously, yeah. You know, they uh, did in a because like when they they did the did first before.
1: Gulf War happened, yeah. I mean, loads
0: of people made a lot of money there. That's I mean, right. i have not
1: want to name him because he's still acting and still working, but there was one tabloid guy um, who put in a bill for a chemical warfare suit yeah. 23,000 quid. <laughs> yeah.
0: I used to love the, Nobody questioned the, it. the expenses yeah. that came in. Nobody questioned there it. There was always $200 for a fixer, yeah. $200 for a driver, $200 for the car, mm. $200 for an interpreter. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of people we were given, $200 a day yeah. to, you couldn't fit in the bloody no. car. No, exactly, but it was all cash as well. <laughs> all cash. So you couldn't get And you said, what do you
1: want, a receipt from a war zone? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the paper couldn't say much about it, really. <laughs> but, I mean, that was one of the greatest... Yeah. Th- was it James Cameron? Um... The famous yeah. sort of Guardian writer yeah, the who, who famously was in one of the great expense stories, um, who had to go out for somebody's funeral. Um, and there was a been Nasser in Egypt or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he put in a bill for a camel. Yeah. You know, and uh, the <laughs> managing editor of the paper was a bit wise to some of his excesses and he said, yeah, unless you can produce this camel for me, uh, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to pass the bill for the, uh, for the camel's hiring. Yeah. So he came back with a receipt for the camel's funeral and said,
0: <laughs> unfortunately, the camel died, so here's another bill for you. <laughs> and he had to pay. <laughs> uh, my fa- I used to love signing writers' exes when yeah. he was on the mirror, and my favourite one it was from a very good friend who I won't name, but I got the bill, the receipts, and I called him out and I said... Um, Mate, he said, uh, it's about your exes, and got very defensive. Well, what about them? Yeah, Yeah. because you have to get defensive. So he said, well, it was this meal you had with the detective sergeant Mm -hmm. from CID uh, about this murder trial. Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, what about it? I said, well, which one of you two had the dinosaur chicken nuggets? (laughs) See, that's terrible. That is bad business because that sounds too cheap to be claimed. That's right. Yeah. Well, there was another one, I remember. He came back and, and used to get receipts that you could fill in mm. with a pen. And, uh, Those were the days. It was from Pizza Hut, and I had to phone him up and say, look, man, I'm not being funny, but it's actually a physical impossibility right. to spend 142 quid. Right, unless you were there for a week. <laughs> yeah, no. well, the chain is now closed down. Well, let's do another, do another it, email. Let's do another email. Thank you for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wait for free at LuckyLandSlots.com Daily bonuses are waiting No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law 18 plus, terms and conditions apply See website for details um, Steve Clark, Steve Clark writes Hello gentlemen, I would really love to You got that bit wrong Steve. Uh, <laughs> I, would re- I would really love to hear your take On the problems facing Scotland going forward I am a married British male Living in Aberdeen For some 18 years with a Scottish born son I point the above out so you can see Where I'm coming from Questions, how long should it be before Scotland gets in DREF 2? Two, Two, given that oil is on its way out, is Scotland in a strong financial position to go alone? And three, what will the UK government have to do for UK citizens who lose their UK status in Scotland in the event of independence? Yeah, well, that's a tricky one. That's a
1: long one that requires a big answer, really. But what I will say is one of the things which everyone in Scotland says is not a Scottish problem, but it's a West Coast problem, is I don't know whether you know that there's been all these marches lately. Yes, I do. Which have been ridiculously violent yeah. and which have caused people to um, see the resurgence of people marching for the IRA, yeah. people marching for the UVF. I mean, that's never really gone away yeah. um, in the west of Scotland. I mean, places like, um, you know, uh, the south side of Glasgow, yeah. where Celtic Football Club is, Govern, where Rangers is. I mean, I know a guy um, who used to employ only former members of the uvf as security in nightclubs yeah you know because they're all around the place and they're all very good at what they do and that problem has never gone away and the fact that it's now reared its ugly head i think they've started to now ban the marches but at first they said oh no we can't ban the marches because we allow the orange marches yeah i mean it's so ridiculous why why the hell would they let that go on
0: yeah in a country which is not even involved in the Orange marches, yeah. you know. Well, I I went and worked as you did in mm. Scotland for yeah. a few years, and I was I was totally yeah. unprepared for the level of sectarianism yeah. that was. there. Yeah. This is in '93, so yeah. I don't know. This it was. was better, I mean, I was there in 2003, and it was yeah. still bad. Yeah, yeah. You know? and it was. I mean, they, it's uh, you know Liverpool has a reputation for being a place where there's a Catholic Protestant tension but it's nothing like I mean that. oh mate no not no. at all not at all no. and I mean um, that's a side
1: issue I suppose yeah. if you're living in Aberdeen like this guy is yeah. you know and even Edinburgh people yeah. say you know it doesn't work here but you say that but it actually works at football matches where you know Hearts who play on the Protestant side of Edinburgh yeah. are still singing up to my knees in Fenian blood that's right and chucking um, when Neil Lennon was, was manager of Celtic yeah. chucking coins at him yeah. and one guy tried to punch him you know, so it's not fair to say that it's not there. In, in But as far as independence is concerned, I think a lot's going to depend upon um, what happens in Westminster. Yeah. Because amongst all of the various permutations of who could become the next government, you'd have to think that Labour and the SNP could get into bed with each other and form themselves into a coalition government which would have enough numbers to beat the Tories. Yeah. It's not out of the question. No, not at all. But um, well, what think- about India F2, do you think? Well, I don't think, um, despite the fact that a lot of polls will show, because I talk to a lot of SNP MPs, and they will tell you, first time you ask them a question, well, of course, the polls are showing that many more people now want independence than, than did before. But my, one of the statistics I always like to use is that more people voted to remain, um, sorry, voted to leave the European Union in Scotland than voted for Indy Ref 1. yeah. For which yes. is an extraordinary isn't it isn't yeah it? because we're always told that Scotland is a remain country yeah. it's a 60-40 remain country yeah. which means there's still quite a lot of people that want to, that want to stay yeah. uh, outside of it you know yeah. um,
0: I don't think it's financially viable independence well I've um, I, you know I've got my in-laws are in uh, Aberdeen okay. and you know, I like the place tremendously. I've never actually been to Aberdeen. It's great, Aberdeen. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a slightly colourless city yeah. because everything's grey, granite. It's a granite so city. When it. it's raining, yeah. it can feel a bit grim. But yeah. when it's sunny, the Aberdeen beach is well, like Cape I Cod. Mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the sand in Scotland is, is yeah. so
1: beautiful. Yeah. I mean, parts of the west coast, a place called Malague, yeah. which is up near Sky, yeah. which is, I mean, if it was in the Caribbean, you'd be selling trips yeah. there for, you know, around 300 quid a night. Yeah.
0: But it's a bit chilly. But So, I, you see the decline of the oil traffic yeah. in Aberdeen Harbour, but there's a lot of, and as, as somebody else touched on in a, in a question to us about renewable energy, um, that's where mm. the future for Scotland is, I think, in tidal and wind yeah. power, offshore tidal, just as it is, interestingly, in East Anglia, yeah. huge amounts of energy. So, I, I suspect that... Are your in-laws pro-independence, uh, then? Yeah. Um, well or is it split it's split really I think my my brother-in-law is quite pragmatic about it and I think emotionally would welcome it but yeah. understands that economically it would be a disaster my yeah. mother-in-law who uh, died about six months ago now and is much missed she again uh, was a very proud Scot um, and hates hated all the bollocks that goes on in mm. Westminster was mm. contemptuous of it but I think she had a nagging concern about the politicians yeah. who would take over in Scotland, Yeah. And, and what types of... Well, they, that's you know? the problem. I mean, the Scottish
1: Parliament is not filled with geniuses by no. any stretch of the imagination. No. And I worked very closely in, in Edinburgh with a lot of those people. In fact, I knew... I used to know Nicholas Sturgeon pretty well at one point. You know? Right. We used to drink in Regano's together. Oh, did you? Great a restaurant. Yeah. yeah, great place. Um, and we had a couple of very interesting conversations, which I'll tell you about. Uh, off air as it were <laughs> but anyway um, the problem is that a lot of people who are not SNP fanatics don't think the SNP are doing a very good job of running Scotland right? because the big what well, I always used to say when Salmon was around was he loved the idea that Westminster wouldn't give him any power because he could sit and moan about not having any power yeah. once they started giving power he was in a best. He was not in such a good position because he yeah. had to say, well, what are you going to do with it? Because yeah. they could put their income tax up if they wanted. If they right. wanted to raise more money, yeah. they've got a. Ter- they've got the worst health track record in the world. They've got the biggest number of drug deaths per capita in yeah. the world. Yeah. Right. Their education system is not as good as it used to be. You know, there's an awful lot that they would lose tax-wise in terms of like HMRC have got a massive operation in Edinburgh. They'd all be be lost to the the South, right? They'd have to move all of them back to Newcastle, all those jobs. They would lose the army, the defence scenario, and as we know, one out of four Scots... Joins the... army, You know, joins the... Mm. army. Oh, well, sorry, no. The army is made up of one out of four. A quarter of a quarter the quarter army, of the is, army is made Scottish, up of Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Which is a far big And you've proportion. got the huge uh, Rossi... You've got nuclear the nuclear thing going on. So I just yeah. don't see it as a viable option. And they've no. also got a very big public sector in Scotland. Mm. I used to know people of almost every couple that I knew. One of them was either a teacher or was a civil servant. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot of... And, you, yeah. you know, despite what you make, people may say, you can't run an economy... On public sector employment only, no, there's no. not enough jobs up there to give everybody, you know, yeah. a reasonable living. So I just don't think it will ever be a viable option. Because no. it, I mean, imagine looking at 300 years of an organisation when we're, we're looking at how much trouble we're having just splitting up after 40.
0: Yeah, 300 years. Yeah, you're gonna have a hard border across the M6. Yeah. yeah. What do you, you know? How's it gonna work? Be interesting though if if you know. I don't know how this scenario would work, but if Britain did does Brexit and Scotland decided that it wanted to mm. stay in and the European Union were open to that, yeah. that could be a massive economic opportunity if they it would could.
1: But they have to the they'd media. have to paint themselves as a kind of deprived nation. Right. And they'd have to get sort of deprived nation status and they could get loads of European money. But would they have the euro? I mean even the SNP don't know the answer to that. Yeah. They think they'd keep the pound. Really? Well how would that work? So they would have a foreign currency they would either they would have a foreign
0: um, sort of government running them from Europe. How is that independence? Yeah. Well you know? we're back to the old problem with Brexit. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. my wife is Scottish, so mm-hmm. if that ever did come to pass, I'd be able to claim my Scottish. Well my passport parents would are be both European from, again. From the west coast
1: of Scotland, yeah. both from both from Glasgow. So yeah. you know, I'd be alright as well. Yeah. But the point is, is that I don't think that would be good for Britain either, by the way. No, I so agree. It's not with just a one way I don't think Scotland could survive. I don't want to be part of England which has no longer got England you know, and Scotland. Wales, you know, you Yeah, yeah. It'd be like the cricket, wouldn't it? Yeah. England and Wales Sh- cricket ball. Scheiser. Yeah. You know, we just lost <laughs> the Ashes. We got to <laughs> no, have we haven't. We're a team. You see, this ashes. is why I don't
0: like cricket. We drew the Yeah, ashes. we lost the Ashes. Where's the urn? I don't know. It's gone back to Australia, has it? Do you yeah. know a funny thing when they... Um, there's a brilliant... By the way, if you're into cricket, there's a I'm brilliant... Uh, it's like a documentary film. Yeah. Or, I think it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Uh, and it's called the Edge, and okay. it's all about the Andy Flowers period in okay. charge, Kevin Peterson, and yeah, Andy yeah. Strauss, and how they went from being number seven to number one in yeah. the world very quickly, right. and then everything went completely tits up right. very shortly after. They that. go up and down like, like but, you know, ridiculous. But 90%. there's a brilliant, there's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant bit in it where um, uh, Andy Strauss as captain, uh, they've just won the Ashes right. you know, for the first time in ages, right. and they're photographed holding, he's holding this the tiny little ashes yes. thing above his head right. and um, and the team all mad with jubilation and he says in it, and you can see it in the photo he said how gutted he was when he turned looked at the underside of the ashes mm. and saw a sticker saying saying uh, Lord's Shop 499 <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant It wasn't the real one yeah, fantastic. Um, but I recommend that film Anyway, okay, so I hope that's Come that sort of added to your confusion on yes, stock management. Sure. Sure. we haven't really given you an I'm answer. Sure, but uh, very, very complicated. Right, last one. Yeah, uh, probably. Gren Steele right. um, says I have a few questions for you both in regard to your past jobs. What is the best and worst jobs you have both had in the past? Mm. And the most important question of all, what is the most expensive drink you have bought? From a bottle of wine or a single drink. Great show, guys. Keep up the good work. Right, so worst and best jobs. Well, I'd have
1: to say the job I've got now is so great that I might have to say it's the best job I've ever had. Yeah. The Independent Republic Mike Graham on talk radio because um, it's a three-hour radio show which is growing like you wouldn't believe and is so much fun to do because we're in the midst of this crazy world. I mean, literally every day people will say to me, how do you even... Get enthusiastic about the same thing every day yeah, yeah. but the right the reason is, is I, I liken it to my labrador right because i once said to a vet i've never seen anything like my lab you get so excited about it the same walk every single day yeah. we go the same way yeah and he gets really excited yeah. he said yeah but for him it's a different walk every day because yeah. he smells different things yeah. he sees different things That's there's good. other things yeah, there like that it. weren't there yeah. yesterday yeah. and so for me Every day is different. Mm. You know, there's always a different caller. There's mm. always a different story. There's always, a, and it's just great fun mm. to be part of something yeah. that, that, that's really important for this country. And I don't, I'm not trying to big myself up here because I'm very much just an observer. But it's just a great being on the radio, which yeah. I discovered fairly late in life. I mean, I love newspapers, always will, um, but it was a lot harder. Yeah, you know, there's a lot more stress. Yeah, a lot more responsibility in a way. Um, because I'm lucky to have this, you know, gift of talking bollocks yeah. or whatever you may want to do. But with. you
0: say that. I mean, I, I've had a little taste of, of doing that mm. over a period of time. Yeah. And, and I went into it thinking, how hard can this be? But yeah. it is much harder. It's and hard to it's do Exhausting. It, really well. it yeah. is. It yeah. does.
1: It does take it out of you more yeah. than you think. I mean, yeah. But you know, when I used to work at the mirrors, you did. I would go in at say ten in the morning. I'd still be there at ten at night. That's right. I might have gone out for lunch. Yeah. I might have even gone and shagged somebody. No, sorry, <laughs> but you know, I'd still be what working. It was your life, wasn't it? You yeah, but it your was your life. But also, you know, the thing now is my fa- my phone never stopped ringing. Yeah, even when I was off. Yeah, you know, and That's I also right. remember when I was not editor of the Express. Gianni Versace was murdered, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was off, right. but I rang the office. Right, you get this. Richard Addis was the editor of the Express at the time. It was a guy called Paul Carter, who was a lovely bloke. He's now unfortunately died from cancer but went off to work for the mail he was a really good production guy he was my deputy he didn't like me very much either because he <laughs> thought he should have got the job and I got right. promoted over him and I called him up and I said well you won't have any worries today what are you he said what do you mean I said well Gio, Gio, Gio Versace has just been shot there he went yeah he, uh, he doesn't want to do it I said what he doesn't want to do what, it well what, what, Richard Addis you talking about he said yeah he doesn't want to do it he doesn't want to <laughs> smash it and I said why not he said, well, that's because he says that's what everybody else is going to be doing. And I went, yeah, it's called you. There's, there's a reason for that. Yeah, there's a yeah. reason for that. And I said, you've got to go in there and tell him yeah. that you can't not make this, that he eventually did it. Yeah. But he was really, he didn't want to, he, I'm like, that. it's your job. And you'd have, and it, because you know, as well as I do, it's all about judgment, isn't it? Yeah. And you'd sometimes have to fight to get your story on the front page, or if you did get it on the front page, it yeah. was wrong, There was a terrible, oh you know. Oh, my God. I mean, it was self, I've
0: never, I mean... I've never had so many nights being sort of waking up two, three in the morning yeah. feeling sick with yeah. worry suddenly. Yeah. That, oh my God, yeah. that's wrong. you Or know, yeah. I've screwed and up And it's there. too late. Oh. So what's yours? Oh, what was so, your best job then? Well, I mean, I love my current job. You know, I get to edit a newspaper yeah. which i you know about something which that really i'm passionate it, yeah. about and right. i started the newspaper yeah. so that's wonderful and you've had the pleasure of watching it grow and, and it's you know it's a success so that's yeah. that's been mm. superb and I, my broader job is more around local news yeah. i'm chief content officer of this group called archins right. and so there's also a massive task in in making local mm. news sustainable which right. i think is really really important yeah. you know but my best job ever was uh, my first job which was working on Southport Fairground, right. as like, you know I, I had a number of jobs I made candy floss I, right. I was on the waltzes I you know I was one of those guys did you get to refuse waltzers. to take any Scottish currency because you know how the fairgrounds would always yeah. refuse to take Scottish yeah. five pounds I, I, I learned how to give how to show somebody 80 pence change in my hand and, and palm over 70 pence <laughs> you know I learned all sorts of things the the, uh, the crack was fantastic yeah. and it was it was suddenly just being exposed to, uh, you know... It's what, real life. It's, yeah, but also this sort of microcosm of life in yeah. a fairground. Yeah. You know, every, every character's there, it's so bright. Yeah. Um, everybody's there for a good time. So, you know, there's that positivity about it. But wonderful, wonderful stories, you know, like, for instance, on the waltzes, and this is where people should wise up next time they go mm. on a waltzer, in, in Pleasureland in Southport, where I worked... Um, what you would do every morning is is throw a bucket of sand underneath the seats so that when everybody's change came pouring out of their pockets as you span them round Uh and round they couldn't hear it landing (laughs) and then at the end of the night you would get a big colander and shovel the sand into the colander and you would sieve out all the money and how much would you make oh more, you would make more than you would earn, and, and this was a mistake wow. that some people made. Was they they'd made so much on stuff like that and mm. fiddling things, they'd go they'd forget to go and get their wages, right? right. And the next day, of course, that you know the boss would fire because right. you know you knew you'd obviously he what you'd done taking the piss. Wow! It was a, it was yes, great, great. I'd love to write something about fair ground you life. Should. You know, it was really you should really wonderful. Yeah. Worst job I've ever had was. Um, Well, I'd have to say my last year at The Mirror where um, I was running the digital side of things on The Mirror and a guy came in who I've since become very good friends with but he was kind of digital through and through, born and bred, didn't know anything about newspapers or stories and stuff like this. So although we were trying to get to the same place, we both had very different Mm. life experiences. And I think we we both rubbed each other up
1: yeah. the wrong way. Yeah, there's nothing worse than going in every yeah. morning to a job that you know yeah. you're not going to have a good time doing. Uh, and I used to he used kind of used so call me at
0: weekends, it? you know, to mm. complain about something. And yeah. I remember, you know, I wasn't having a breakdown, but I I, I remember feeling absolutely like mm. I, this cannot go on yeah. anymore, you know, and, and shouting at him, yeah. why are you phoning me? It's yeah. Saturday at three o'clock, right. you know. Let's talk about it on Monday. Right. But uh, anyway... So that was the reason that I left the Mirror, really. Which, you know, I love the Daily Mirror. Yeah. It's a great paper and it's a great set of people. But that, I, that tipped me over the edge and mm. I just thought it's time to do something yeah. new. Yeah, I think
1: when it gets like that, I mean, I yeah. had a situation like that at the Express because I was promoted into the Features Editor's chair, but they made me acting Features Editor. Yeah, And I rather naively thought at the time oh, this is a good job for me. It's all about getting good features commissioned and getting them in the paper. No, no, that wasn't what it was about. It was about shifting the woman who was in charge of features out, right? promoting her to a sort of nebulous role yeah. because the editor at the time thought that she was too powerful. And you know what it's like. If you head a department in newspapers, you're powerful. Yeah. If you don't, if your assistant editor brackets bollocks, yeah. Yeah. You really nobody pays any attention That's to that. Right. Worse than that was we did the three months. I did it pretty well. Um And at the end of the three months, I got called into the editor's office to be told, you've done a brilliant job, Um, thanks very much indeed, Um, we're going to make you executive features editor. Right. To which I said, what does that mean? Yeah. I said, is that the same as features editor?
0: (laughs) No, no, it's not quite. The
1: The features editor is going to be somebody else, Um, a woman who I happen to know, but who wasn't in my view... Anything other than extremely rude, and I said to the editor, "I'm not mentioning any names deliberately here because people still around." And I said, uh, "Well, I already know how to be fucking rude. What am I going to learn from her?" Because he said, "Oh, you can learn a lot from her." And I just said, "Well, I I think I know you're talking about." And it turns out right that for the next two or three months, um, we would have this. It was a sort of Starship Enterprise style desk, and she would sit in the middle, and I'd be one of those on the outside. Yeah, and. She'd go into conference, and I would say... And she would ask the other sort of sycophants, who's only the ideas, you'd take a few ideas from them. Um, And I would say things like, would you like me to give you a couple of ideas? No, thanks. (gasps) And just walk off. Oh, my God. Worse than that, right, I discovered um, that my phone, which never rang, had been put on divert. To hers? No, Um, to an an answering machine. (gasps) So everybody that was trying to call me
0: thought I wasn't there. I didn't discover this for, like, two, three weeks. This, But this is the kind this of this stuff kind of shit people, that people got up do. to. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was in a very competitive environment yeah. like Fleet Street mm. was. Because, you know, that was the best of the yeah. best of the time. And newspapers were the biggest yeah. media at yeah. the time. So you were really... we well, were doing about 1.8 but million in those days. People would rip your throat yeah. out to get above you. She'd come out of, of conference and yeah. say
1: to the others, oh, yeah, we definitely want so-and-so to write that. Can you get on to that? Yeah. Uh, we want um, a, a big piece on this from that person. Yeah. And I would go. Do you want me to do anything? Yeah. No,
0: no, not really. Walk off again. Yeah, and this but, went on for weeks. So here's the thing, though: is that that when you're under that kind of stress, mm. and it's impossible not to be affected. No, by it that, is, yeah. and it starts seeping into yeah. your soul, right. right? And everything becomes a very dark place. Mm. That's happened to me two or three times, yeah. and I've walked away from the job, always thinking, you know. I, you know this is terrible I'm, yeah. I'm never going to be able to do some. That's something that interesting again yeah. and every single time I've come into something better something than better, what yeah. I've left Yeah. so my message, is, me. my message is if you are having a shit time at work don't be yeah. too worried about biting the bullet and just walking away well do you know the way when it all changed it was
1: Craig McKenzie came over to me one day and he yeah. had become the night editor um, and she was sitting there and I was sitting there and he said oh hi, I'm going out for a quick drink do you want to come um, and I was like yeah okay and he looked at her and sort of made the same invitation, and she just basically blanked him.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And we went out to the lifts, and he went, "Jesus Christ, mate! I do not think it was that bad." I said, "Well, it's pretty bad." Yeah. And he said, "Will you come in with me?" And he brought me onto the back bench. Great. And that was the start of my production. Good. Great fun, the Craig, thing. Right. Great fun. And you know, he was brilliant. And, yeah. And I he was back...
0: very kind to me at the mirror yeah. as well. Took me under his wing. Yeah. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Better take him out for a drink. And as far as the yeah. most expensive cool, drink
1: goes, the show. as far as the the, the most expensive drink goes, yes. I think. I once had a meal in Monte Carlo, which I think is definitely the most I've ever spent on a meal in Monte anywhere. Yeah. But it was because we'd won. It was I was on my honeymoon actually, and we yeah. won, won uh, five hundred quid yeah. on the casino yeah. on, the, on the roulette, right. I went and spent it in the in the, 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 the restaurant, which was open-air restaurant on the top of nice. the um, of the Hotel Ducat, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I had a bottle of wine that was about 200 quid. Nice. Which was brilliant. Yeah.
0: But I think that's about the most I've ever spent. I'm, tr- I'm racking my brains now, because I like nice wine, yeah. you know, and I'll quite happily pay 20 quid mm. for a bottle of wine. And very occasionally, if I'm flush, you know, I might spend 50 quid yeah. on a bottle of wine. But I don't think I've, I've... But in a restaurant, you can spend a lot of Ah, that. well, I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, I must have spent a couple of hundred quid in a restaurant yeah. for an anniversary or something like that. Yeah. But ask me if I can remember what the hell it was, and the, answer. <laughs> the answer's no. Right. You know, well, but I think I once bought a bottle of Chateau Montrachet. Yes.
1: Ooh, in, beautiful. in Roast, yeah. down in London Bridge. Yeah. And it was about 110 quid. Nice. But nice. it was lovely.
0: Nice. Really nice. I love Montrachet. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to share a bottle of these days. Pulli- there's two, isn't there? There's Chassin Montrachet exactly. and Puligny Montrachet. P- P- and Montrachet. is the better one. That's right? the only one I've ever had, yeah. There. Yeah. Oh well, we'll have to have one together. Beautiful. Well we'll have that and we'll invite all our listeners. That's no, right. We won't. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Cheers.
1: Get petrol because when you get the, the, the car up, you're, you're literally in a place where there's no electricity. I had a bath once a month. We had no running water in the house, right? yeah. and every night you're sitting uh, in darkness because you can't have a candle because there's snipers everywhere. Right. There's houses on fire around the place. You hear you know <laughs> gunfire all the time, yeah, and you just get normalised to yeah, it, right? Amazing. So um, and there's no petrol stations as such. <laughs> you know, you can imagine you don't stop off for a quick mix and a <laughs> egg sandwich, you know. <laughs> But so I, I got to the point where I, I, I'd used my my sort of spare tank of petrol, which is in a big plastic container. So I thought, well, I better not want to run out of petrol because there were bandits around and stuff. Mm. So I said to one of the guys in my house, I said, well, look. he said, well, there's, there's a petrol station, but it's down the road. Um, it's about a mile. He said, the problem is between here and there, there's a sniper and he's up in the forest. 20, yeah. So, but don't worry about it because if you hit 90 clicks, 90 kilometers an hour, he can't hit you.
0: Andy Strauss as captain. They've just won the Ashes right. know, for the first time in ages, right. and they're photographed holding—he's holding this the tiny little Ashes yes. thing above his head—and right. um, and the team all mad with jubilation. And he says in it, and you can see it in the photo. He said how gutted he was when he turned, looked at the underside of the Ashes, mm. and saw a sticker saying saying uh, Lord's Shop 499. <laughs> <laughs> This was a mistake wow. that some people made was they, they'd made so much on stuff like that and mm. fiddling things. They'd, go, they'd forget to go and get their wages, right? Yeah. And the next day, of course, the, you know, the boss would fire you. Which one of you two had the dinosaur chicken nuggets? <laughs> <laughs> With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.